Hi again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back into another episode of VoiceOver with Greg and Shep. He is the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. My name is Jason Shepard, and boy, do we have a good one for you today. Very to have, very happy to have our, our next guest. He is a two-time National League Most Valuable Player. He is a seven-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glove Award winner, and a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. And yes, he should be a Baseball Hall of Famer. You know who we're talking about. We're talking about the great Dale Murphy. Dale, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's great to be on with you, Jason and Greg. Thank you. And uh, uh, really happy to, to be, be on here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, you bet. Look, everybody has their own stories on, on what the last couple of months have been like with the quarantine life. How, uh, how have the, uh, how's the Murphy family handled the quarantine life over the last couple of months? Uh, we've probably been pretty typical, really. Um, we have uh, a number of our kids still live in the state and relatively close by. So uh, the, the uh, you know, we, we saw our kids for quite a few years growing up, but we're missing those grandkids. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, things are, uh, uh, you know, we've, we, I think we've done really well here in Utah, obviously. And so, uh, you know, getting together in small groups and social distancing and stuff. So it, it's been good to see our grandkids uh, for a while, but really just, yeah, typical stuff, which is not very much going on. Uh, you know, as, as some may know, I opened a restaurant three years ago in, in Atlanta by the ballpark. So that's been one of my big concerns. Uh, um, as we know, uh, during this time, uh, uh, that the restaurants have been particularly challenged, but I got a great, great team and a great manager. And of course, I'm missing baseball, and I'm usually in Atlanta a lot during this time. So it's been that's been the strangest thing is is uh, slowing the travel down. But I, I I'm kind of you know I try to look at it optimistically that there's going to be some good things and come of this somehow, some way. And and uh, so it's been it's actually been good to to stay home, and uh, it's made me reevaluate some things. Maybe uh, we'll, we'll see how much I travel after this because it's been good to be here. And the restaurant's called Murphs, right? Yep, that's right, Greg. Uh, uh, people kidding me about not getting very uh, uh, original. I said, hey, I thought it was a good name. Uh, but, you know, we're right near the uh, relatively new ballpark uh, in Atlanta. It's now called Truist Park um, where the Braves play. So we were really, we've done a little bit better each year, really excited about it. But uh, just like a lot of small business owners, uh, been a very challenging couple months you know I think there are a lot of folks out there who mistakenly believe you played baseball for BYU of course you didn't uh you were a keynote speaker at BYU's first pitch dinner uh, a few years back what, what type of connection do you actually though really have with Cougar baseball and have you ever felt like maybe an honorary Cougar <laughs> uh yeah th there is a little you know it uh, and I appreciate the compliments I get compared to to, to Wally Joyner all the time. They said, no, I, I saw you play. I was going, no, that was Wally or, or somebody else kind of get us mixed up. But I will tell you this, that uh, I came to BYU after my first full year in Atlanta, which was 1978, um, and uh, called up Vern Law and, uh, um, well, actually, a, a, another friend. It's kind of a long story. But back then, Greg, it wasn't that tough to get into BYU. <laughs> and so uh, they said, uh, 
why don't you come out to BYU for the offseason? Uh, um, and so I was out there the winter of 78-79, worked out with the team uh, during the offseason, worked out, uh, you know, in the Smithfield house and, and uh, where the team was working out. But, but, and then met Nancy at BYU. So Nancy was, was going to BYU at that time. So that's where we met. So I have a connection, and I do feel like an honorary Cougar uh, a baseball player uh, really got connected uh, to the, the school, obviously then. But then once I got to know Glenn Tuckett, if, if, if you ever get to know Glenn Tuckett, you become an honorary Cougar, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the way. Uh, you know, would always send me – in fact, it would always send me and uh, all the guys, all the LDS guys, before the season that were playing pro ball, a BYU uh, baseball T-shirt. And I still see some old uh, photos of me from the 80s wearing my BYU baseball T-shirt from Glenn Tuckett. But, uh, but a lot of people, yeah, a little confused about if I played there. But, but I did attend. I won't reveal my GPA uh, <laughs> right now. But I did attend. And, uh, but I do have to admit it was a lot easier to get into BYU back then than it is now. I wouldn't have been able to do that now. I, no, I, I, I'll I, agree with you there. It was a lot easier for me than it was for my kids to get in. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Dan, but I, I love the connection, uh, you know, and speaking, I've, you know, been to the dinner a couple times and spoke for, uh, for uh, uh, the baseball team. And, and uh, you know, they got a great historic program. They're doing things good now. Of course, I'm good friends with Bert, with the, uh, with the Law family and Vance Law, who coached there for quite a while. So uh, I, I just have to go back to Glenn Tuckett. Uh, I'm so thankful for our friendship. And he really uh, – uh, one, more, one more Glenn Tuckett story. When we had our first child, Chad, born in 1980 in July, a couple months later we got a letter of intent <laughs> from, from uh, Coach Tuckett, who, who, who was uh, – uh, at BYU, he said, here, I've already signed this letter of, of intent uh, for Chad Murphy, who was two months old. So we want him, we just want you to know that uh, uh, we're ready for him when he gets here. Ch and by the way, Chad ended up going to BYU. So interesting awesome. story. You mentioned Dale, Wally Joyner, and I, and I would say Wally, uh, Jack Morris, those are probably the, the most well-known former BYU players that made it to the show. But the BYU baseball program historically has done a really good job of putting players in Major League Baseball. And I think with what Coach Littlewood and his staff have done in the last eight years, I think they've done a really good job of putting the program back in that spot. I don't know how often you get a chance to pay attention to what's going on with the BYU baseball program right now, but what are your overall thoughts on the program as, it's, as it stands today? Well, I think uh, historically BYU has always, you know, had, I've, I've known a lot, all, I've known, I guess, all the baseball coaches and now Coach Littlewood, um, uh, enjoy my connection with him. Look, it, it, you think about Utah, you think about baseball, and uh, uh, there's certain challenges, obviously, with an outdoor sport uh, that, that uh, BYU uh, and schools in that kind of a climate like this have. But they've done a remarkable job. It's a, as we all know, it's a, a great school to go to. Uh, any chance I get to encourage kids nowadays, as opposed to when I played, uh, college is a really good option for baseball. These programs 
are so good. The training. And Coach Littlewood has got a state-of-the-art facility. They've done a number of things. I mean, who would ever thought 40 years ago there would be a – correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's the heated infield. <laughs> um, and the, the whole facility is just state-of-the-art for baseball. And I've been to a number of college baseball uh, facilities. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really happy for Coach Littlewood and very challenged, you know, disappointed as they all are about what happened this year with uh, the situation with the uh, pandemic and uh, a lot of the college sports. So, you know, and every year he's turning out guys that get drafted and get a shot to play professional baseball. So they're doing a great job there. And uh, um, I, I just, I think it's, it, you know, I recommend to people, to kids, if they ask me, you know, what's it like? I go, well, there's no concerns about playing baseball there. You're going to get a lot of good baseball in at BYU, uh, the way the facility is now. And it's just, you know, sometimes it's hard to compete against an Arizona school, but I don't think you're going to miss a step at BYU with the way they got things going and the competitive program as well. So, Dale, we've established uh, you, you didn't play college ball at BYU or anywhere else. Uh, you went right from high school to professional baseball. But was there any interest in you originally in playing uh, college baseball? And then after that, how do you describe your four-year journey through the minor leagues into becoming uh, a major league regular? I think you were playing – you were in Tennessee. You were in South Carolina. You were in Virginia before making it finally as a regular uh, with the Braves, right? Uh, that's right, Greg. And, and so I signed as a, as a high school senior, which a lot of kids do in professional baseball with the Atlanta Braves. Now, what was my college I, my college ideas? Again, it was kind of interesting. Uh, Glenn Tucker, who was the baseball coach in nineteen in the seventies, came out to watch another kid on our team, Ernie Thompson, who ended up playing some ball uh, at BYU who was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I wasn't at that time, uh, but he saw me play in high school. And uh, I had signed a letter of intent to go to Arizona State. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he really, he might have sent me a letter. I think he might have sent me a letter and said, we'd, we'd love to go, have you go to join your, your teammate Ernie uh, at BYU. But then when I got drafted, uh, you're right, I got drafted uh, in, the, in the first round, the fifth year pick. So I was kind of like, this is a, a unique opportunity that I'm going <laughs> to take advantage of. So I signed, as you mentioned, uh, started out in Tennessee, um, South Carolina, and then Savannah, Georgia, and then Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think it was till I was in pro ball at least two or three years when I got to be about uh, 21, I think when I was 21, I really had a good year in AAA. But uh, my minor leagues was filled with uh, some, some times of self-doubt, I guess is the best way to put it. I changed positions a couple times, drafted as a catcher, uh, ended up in the outfield. And so there were some times when I really struggled and, and didn't know. But about, about uh, when I was about 21, I started hitting a lot better and I thought I might have a chance and, and, uh, and 22 at 22 was my first full year in Atlanta. It was still a little rocky. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm thankful for the Braves. We had a situation where they stuck with a lot of us young players, gave us a chance. And, and I'm thankful that I had a chance with the Braves organization because with another organization, I, I don't know if it would have worked out so well. 
Mm. Well, it, it, you certainly took advantage of the opportunity once you got in the majors. I mean, just in the introduction, we were talking about all of the accolades that, that you received during your playing career, the, the NL MVPs, the home run titles, you know, the all-star appearances, all of those things, in my opinion, and I know you probably haven't done an interview where the Hall of Fame hasn't been brought up, you know, for decades here, but in my opinion, the numbers you put up warrant you being in the Hall of Fame. So my question to you is, let's say when it's all said and done, you aren't inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. If you are never inducted, will you be okay with that? Well, that's, that's a good question. You know, uh, I mean, I'd be a little disappointed, but, but I also have to put it in context. You, you know, some guys get in really quick, and some guys it takes a long time. And I knew if I was going to go in, I wouldn't be a guy that would go in on the first or second ballot. Uh, my numbers, I have some people that are very supportive. And uh, so I guess I get asked this question is, do you think you belong there? And I, I always say, I think there's a spot for me there. Uh, not the way Chipper Jones went in first ballot, but for some guys it takes a while. So I want to say thank you to the, the uh, Hall of Fame that has changed the voting and given us guys that played in the 70s and 80s a few extra chances. For instance, Jack Morris, uh, 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 who just went into the Hall of Fame, BYU player, uh, benefited from this new voting a couple of years ago. He and Alan Trammell. So I'm in that group that, that I will get considered. They've just changed it. So I will get considered about every two or three years again and again and again. And the more you get considered, the more chance you have. But uh, I... I I'll be a little disappointed, I think is the best way to put it. But, you know, I understand it. It's a hard place to get into. That's the way it goes. So, I, like I said, I, I appreciate the Hall of Fame that has changed the voting uh, to give us guys in the 70s and 80s a few more chances. Dale, turning it back to the, uh, to the COVID crisis for a minute, um, do, do you get the sense that Major League Baseball is going to make it back and look again like baseball uh, this summer? And, and the scenarios are pretty complicated, but can you see everyone yeah. getting around it to a point where, yeah, they, they play games again? Well, you're right, Greg. Complicated. It, uh, you know, I've seen the proposal and what, what's, what's been online and, and, and all that they have to go through. Uh, Korean, the Korean Baseball League, I guess, is – has shown that you can do some things and and still be uh, very safe. So I'm optimistic. Uh, it's going to look a little different, but I, I don't really have a problem if they make some changes, expand the rosters, uh, put the DH in the National League. I, I think that's an eventuality anyway. Um, so I'm optimistic. And I, if, if I was a player, uh, I would certainly not look forward to a year without competitive baseball. That, that would have messed me, messed me up. These kids have played a lot more. Uh, they're probably a lot more adaptable. But uh, growing up, they played a lot more baseball than, than we did, my generation. Uh, but I'm optimistic, Greg. I, I think uh, they're, they're really trying hard. Uh, we all miss baseball. And uh, I, I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, that they're going to figure this out. But I think, you know, we're in May here. We go through June. I think, I think things are going to get really clear in June if this is really a possibility. They're talking about starting 
July 4th, I think. And I, I, you know, we're all saying, oh, next two weeks, next three weeks. But I think June is going to be really critical about the possibility. And I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, it's going to look a little different, but, uh, you know, who knows? Some of the changes could be permanent someday. I think there are a lot of us that just want baseball. However we get it, we just want yeah. to have baseball, whether it's with fans, without fans, just the ability to have it. And, and Dale, for the majority of Major League Baseball's history, it's been known as America's pastime. And certainly, you don't come back just because of this, but I, I, I think – how much of an opportunity do you think Major League Baseball has to bring back some of the clout that it had as America's pastime if it can come back and, and give sports fans something to enjoy again? Yeah, they got a great opportunity. Isn't it interesting to think about the history of our country and, and of baseball that it's never stopped <laughs> through all the wars and everything? Uh, uh, you know, our culture loves sports, loves the game of baseball. Uh, we got some of the best. The, the, the real challenge for me is, is not seeing baseball is we got the best players in the history of the game at the youngest age they've, that they've ever been. You know, the top five have never been this young before and led by Mike Trout. Uh, uh, so we're really missing a unique uh, opportunity in baseball. And so I think they've realized that to get back, uh, I think baseball is connected. You think about 9-11 and, and getting that first pitch back. Uh, it, it's going to be a little different in this situation, but just the fact that we'll have I, – I, I think baseball, entertainment in general, professional sports and entertainment, we need diversions. We have a lot of challenges uh, in our lives, even when we're not going through something like this. Baseball and entertainment and sports – is something to kind of break the monotony and break the, the challenges we have. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, and I, I would agree with you. If there's ever a time where we need some kind of thing to, to watch and be entertained by and have some fun is now because this has been a very challenging situation. So baseball's got a chance to, to really help us as a country get through some of this stuff, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, one of the storylines going into this season, obviously, was the Astros cheating scandal. And that really, <laughs> because of the situation and no games, that, that story has, has taken a, a back seat. And before this, you know, the, the big scandal, if you, if you want to call scandal, is, is the, the PEDs. And recently, Jason Giambi said he thought that what the Astros did was just as bad as the PED issues that baseball faced. Do you agree with that? Do you think that they're on the same level? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to make that blanket statement. So I wouldn't say that I, I would, I would disagree to a certain extent. I, kn I know what he's trying to say and, and it certainly is very bothersome. Uh, what the Astros did. I, I think, I don't think they got punished enough. I think the Astros would have, would have, uh, made a great gesture and given the trophy back instead of saying it's rightfully ours. We got it. I think, I, think, I don't think they handled it well. Um, but to say for the years and years that we, we had, I, I guess we could call it rampant uh, uh, performance-enhancing drug use, um, that that is, was a larger systemic problem. Uh, so I would disagree. I, I'm not saying 
you know, I understand. I think the Astros should have been punished more. But, but uh, so many things changed during the, uh, the steroid era. I mean, uh, there, there were a lot of things that guys are never going to be able to reach again. There were records broken that probably shouldn't have been broken. So, um, you know, look, I, I, I will put it uh, in, the, in the same genre of it's not good, it ruins the integrity of the game. But, man, the, 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 the systemic uh, damage that performance-enhancing drugs did to the game and to the legi- legitimacy of the game um, – it, it, to me was, was greater because it was longer and it lasted longer. Let me, let me, if you don't mind, let me, let me say the one thing the commissioner did very well here that should have been done during the steroid issue was fire the manager and the GM because then it makes it personal to the manager and the GM and makes them accountable for what's going on with their team. And that's exactly what didn't happen during the steroid issue. Everybody kind of, you know, if, if managers back then, I'm sure a lot of them said, wow, look at that kid. He's put on 20 pounds. I don't know where he got it, but mm-hmm. whatever. Well, if you're a manager or, and a general manager and know that you're going to be held accountable if that kid tests positive, then you're going to go talk to that kid, and you're going to even maybe test him himself. Well, now with, uh, you know, advanced electronic media cheating on a, in a game, is going to cost you as a manager a job. You're going to meet with your players and tell them if you're doing anything, we're putting a stop to it right now. So people are saying, well, Dale, do you think this is going to go on some more with what happened to the Astros? And I'll say no, because now managers know that they're accountable and they will, they will stop that stuff. And so that was a good thing. I, I will, my, I might say too. my son, Taylor said the other day, boy, the luckiest team in baseball right now is the Astros because they were looking at a season of not, not a very uh, welcoming reception everywhere they went. So they kind of dodged the bullet for this. You, you've mentioned a couple of your kids. You and Nancy have eight. Is that right, Dale? Yes. Uh, what's the age ranges right now? Oh, you would ask me that, Greg. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see here. What year is it? <laughs> Chad? Uh, Chad, our oldest, is uh, – is uh, 40 this summer. I can't believe that either. And Maddie, our youngest, (laughs) will be 20, oh boy, 27 this fall, uh, I think. And we have 14 grandchildren. And, uh, you know, so we've really been blessed. But uh, I just got to say, I'm so thankful for Nancy. When I think about my career, guys, Chad was born in 80 and Maddie was born in 93, the year I retired. Mm. So that whole year, I mean, my whole career, you know, Nancy was raising those kids and very blessed, got great kids and great grandchildren now. So uh, um, uh, we're very blessed. Athletics, obviously uh, a big part of all of your lives. Go ahead, Dale. Don't ask me their birthdays though. Okay. (laughs) I won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how big did, did, did sports end up being, though, for your you – know, we, of course, we know that, you know, for example, Jake, you know, played at the Division One level. But in, in, in the entire family, how strong was the tie of sports with participation, attendance, fandom, and where are you guys all now as, as a family that way? Well, I think we learned a lot, you know, as most parents do, trying to figure out what to – you know, uh, 
what, uh, what opportunities to give your children. And so obviously with my background, there was, there was growing up this sense that, well, let's, you know, let's all, uh, you know, be involved in sports somehow. And, and people ask me all the time, cause I ended up with some football players, as you mentioned, they all, they all did play baseball at one time, but what was really interesting to us, and I got to share a story with, uh, McKay, um, he was, uh, you know, eight or nine, and this was a really interesting moment in our, our, our parenting years. As I was driving him to the ball game, I said, McKay, what's your favorite position? And he, he actually said bench warmer. <laughs> and I, I laughed because McKay was all, you know, it was, it was funny, but he was always cut up. And I said, no, seriously, what, you know, he's, what's your favorite position? He said, no, it really is my favorite position. And, and so I think he just – he liked to play baseball, but he loved playing with the little puppy dog that walked by or whatever. And I, I reminded him he was playing the outfield a couple of nights ago, and I said, you made a great throw from the outfield. You threw that guy at second. And he said a real interesting thing. He said, Dad, I may be good at it, but it doesn't mean I like it. And, and I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's kind of profound because what we found was our kids were good at a lot of things but they liked certain things more than they liked. So I've ended up like Chad's a professor, a professor in the business school at Oregon state. I have an artist. I have a lawyer. Um, I have uh, uh, kids that are doing a lot of different things. Uh, a couple of my kids are working here locally for a couple of the startups here in, in Utah Valley. And, and so the, the uh, uh, I have another son that's a, a a programmer um, and internet, uh, I'm messing it all up, what he does. But the point of it is we, we, we wanted them to learn some things from sports, but we also wanted to understand what they like to do and try to give them the opportunity. I think the real challenge, I'll, I'll end the answer with this, Greg, is what's really interesting for me is when they were really good at sport, at a sport, but they didn't necessarily enjoy it. I, I thought that was a real uh, they, they have a number of different talents that they may like to do something different, even though they like a lot of things. So as a parent, you got to be careful because, you know, being an athlete or professional athlete or any of us, we tend to push them toward what we want to, you got to be very careful, find out what they like to do and give them that opportunity. We're all missing sports in one way or the other right now. How, how has the, the COVID-19 crisis, or has it, Dale, led you to any maybe conclusions uh, about the role of sport in society these days? That's a good question because, you know, there, you, you can't imagine living without it, right? I mean, you know, what you do, you, you can't imagine your, your life without doing what you do. And then all of a sudden it's gone and you – you know, it's, it's kind of like this. When, when I spend, a, and a lot of guys, when they spend a few years in professional baseball and they retire, I mean, they don't think the sport is going to end. But you do think people are going to miss you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and what happens is, no, there's a ball game the next day. And, yeah, I, I remember you, but, hey, there's something going on right now. I think now that we don't have it, yeah, I miss it, and I can't wait. But I think. I'm hopeful that what comes out of a time without sports is that we, we kind of look around and think, 
you know, there are some things that are more, more important than this ball game tonight. And, and uh, you know, maybe one of our grandkids has an activity, but I, I want to watch LeBron James tonight. You know, that's something I really like to do or something like that. Well, you know, it, life is going to go on without sports. So it's been kind of a humbling. Does that make sense? You start to think, wow, we're, we're professional athletes. we got something real cool here. Well, you know what? Life goes on and there's a lot of challenges. Uh, so maybe it's made some athletes more aware and maybe it's made us realize that, you know, we love our sports. Maybe sometimes we go a little bit overboard. Uh, does that make, that make sense? Dale, we uh, can't thank you enough for, for doing this. The, the one word that has always come to mind for me when I think about you is class. You have always been such a great representative of Major League right. Baseball, of your faith, and just being a really class act. Cannot say thanks enough uh, for joining us today. And, and I know I speak for a lot of people when I say we are, we are hoping uh, that one day you get that call as, as a member of the, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame because uh, there's no doubt in my mind you deserve it. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Great to be with you, Greg. Anytime. Appreciate being on. Thank, thanks for those kind words. Yeah, Dale, this was really a treat. I, I thank you as well, along with Jason, for uh, spending some time. We'll tell our fans as we wrap up that uh, you can find every episode of VoiceOver with Greg and Shep on the BYU TV Sports YouTube page. Plus, you can listen to the audio version by subscribing to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel or by going to the show page on BYURadio.org. And don't forget, for even more Cougar Sports content live or on demand, and make sure to download the BYU TV and BYU Radio apps. For Dale Murphy, my partner Jason Shepard, I'm Greg Rubel. Thanks for tuning in. Go Cougs.